0: That was a tremendous song, wasn't it? And uh, that was a blessing to me. I love it when God is obviously putting things together. I um, was asking the Lord what He would want me to preach and just how I could be a blessing to the church. Because I'm afraid if I'm not a blessing tonight, my pastor's going to fire me. He, uh, he loves this church, and so he loves your pastor. He's called me twice already today, and uh, just making sure I'm on track. And so, and so I'm a little nervous, to be honest with you. If I don't do a good job, just lie to him and tell him, tell him that I did. But I've been praying about the message, and um, uh, I settled in on a message tonight, and that song was just so beautifully sung, and it is perfect. It, it's just what God has for us. That whole idea of needing someone and needing Jesus, that's that's really uh, where we're going to go tonight. I want to thank you for being here on a Tuesday night, and it's cold outside, and it's even worse in Chicago, so tomorrow it's going to be negative 10 degrees in Chicago. Real feel, negative 30. Anybody want to move? Anybody feeling the call of God? No, but uh, but it, it's going to be rough there tomorrow, but I want to thank you for being here uh, on a On a tuesday night and i 've been praying for your revival i 've been praying for Pastor Miller that uh, the Lord would help him and i 've heard good reports and i 'm thankful for that. Uh, thank you for the room pastor and just all the kindness this church is above and beyond in their kindness and the snacks, brother Strofe, and uh, being able to spend some time with you i 've enjoyed it and Brother Reno, thank you for picking me up last night and you know this church here. When our church was really hurting, going through a difficult time, this church was a big blessing to our ministry, and and we thank you for that. And I want you to know that there's a lot of people up in Indiana that love this place and believe in this place and are praying for you, of course your pastor, and so uh, and so it's just great to be here. I've got some messages before I settled in. I, I had some messages in my mind and praying over them and. I'm a, little, I'm a little weird that way. I, I don't always know exactly what I'm going to preach. And sometimes, you know, it's just I don't know until I get up into the pulpit. And uh, Pastor Wilkerson had asked me uh, last month or so to preach kind of short notice. And, and I was telling my wife, I said, Minda, it was Sunday morning. We were getting ready. I said, Minda, I've got five messages in my head. I said, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I've got five of them. And she was uh, making some breakfast and she just stopped. and She, she looked at me. She said, Abdel, that's good. She said, let's do this, choose one and preach half of it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's what she said, so I'm going to try to take her advice tonight, all right? We're, it's, uh, I've got the time there, and uh, I'm watching the time. I was preaching in New Jersey last, uh, last month, and in New Jersey, I, they, they had, just in front of the preacher, they had a massive clock. I'm talking about a, a 70-inch flat screen TV and it was it was massive and as soon as I got up to preach you know it had all all the themes for the year and everything on there but as soon as I got up to preach it became like a digital clock and it it was just I mean it was huge huge couldn't miss it and I thought that is really neat you know I mean man I know what time it is that is awesome it had a green background to it and uh, as I was preaching along getting into the message as soon as it hit you know the hour the top of the hour that green background went red and, and then it started to flash, and I thought, man, if I don't finish, I think they're going to kill me in this place. But uh, uh, anyways, uh, I thought that was interesting. So I'll be mindful of the time, and, and, uh, and I just, I'm just grateful, Pastor, that you would call and ask me and have confidence in me to come and to be a help and a blessing. Been many great preachers, I was thinking about that during the service uh, uh, earlier, that many great preachers have preached here. And, um, and I'm humbled to be able to, to preach here. And I, I don't have any talent and ability. My, my only desire is to be a help and a blessing. And I say that honestly. I mean, there's no real real skill here. My uh, Pastor Wilkerson, when we were getting to know each other. He sat me down and he said, uh, he said Abdel, he, said, he was asking about me coming to Hammond to be the youth pastor. And he said, Abdel, what's your spiritual gift? And I said, Pastor, I... I I don't know. I said, I think I know what you're talking about. They're in the book of Romans and the spiritual gifts, and you can take the test. And I said, I, I've never done the test, and so I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I said, I don't think I have any. He said, OK. <laughs> That's how you win the job, you know? He said, OK. I, I said, no, really. I said, I have no marketable skills, zero. He said, okay, well, we'll work on that, and uh, two years later, I was with him in California, and I had been working there for two years, and we were at an In-N-Out Burger, highly overrated, give me White Castle, but we were at an In-N-Out Burger, Burger, and, uh, and um, that conversation about spiritual gifts was in my head, and, and I said, pastor, I've been here for two years. He said, yeah. I, I said, remember that? Question about my spiritual gift. He said, yeah. I said, well, I've been here two years. You've had a chance to observe me. And I said, I want to ask you. I said, what, what are my spiritual gifts? I really want to know. I said, what are they? He took a deep breath. He said, Abdel, now if you know Pastor Wilkerson, he's the nicest man in the world. I mean, there's no, he, he, he cannot be unkind. He said, Abdel, he said, um, he said, I believe the closer a person gets to Jesus, the more gifts he gives them. So just get really close to Jesus, Abdel. (laughs) That's what he said. (laughs) So that was his kind way of saying, you were right, man. You've got no marketable skills. But anyways, uh, I say all that to say I just want to be a blessing to the church tonight. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to John chapter 5 in your Bible. John chapter 5. I understand that I'm coming in on the, the... tail end of the revival and um, I've asked a little bit about the messages and I likewise heard that last night was a tremendous message on the sin of selfishness and a lot of messages uh, geared towards relationships and and family and and I believe the Lord's done a wonderful work in your heart and I'm sure you've thoroughly enjoyed the the meeting so far but tonight I'm just going to be up front And I'm going to let you know that tonight really is not about you. It's really not about you at all. And I believe that that's sort of real revival. Real revival, I guess we could say it starts in God's heart. It is sent to us. But once it takes root in our lives, it spreads to others. That's what's supposed to happen. Church and the gospel and the love of God and revival, spirit, it's... Not designed to stay inside of the walls of the church. It's designed to be spread to everybody. And tonight, uh, I want to uh, come to you on behalf of someone else. As we look at the scriptures in John chapter number 5. As good as it is to examine ourselves and to take inventory of our spiritual condition, Uh, ultimately we do that so that we might help someone else along the way. And in John chapter 5, we're going to read a wonderful story of healing. We're going to read a a miracle, really, uh, that the Lord performs in the life of a broken, hurting man. And uh, we'll take our challenge uh, from John chapter number 5. Let's look at what the Bible says in the very first verse. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews... And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Now, before we get much further into the message, I do want to just clarify, I'm a city boy, and when I see the word pool and porch, I think vacation. I think, I think this is a fun place. Man, if there's a pool and a porch count me in, all right, and uh, my wife and I recently celebrated 20 years, and we were in Hawaii for our our anniversary kind of celebration, and I'm a typical uh, preacher, you know, our anniversary was in July, we took our trip in uh, October or whatever it was, and uh, you don't have time in the summer, but but I was there, and I was there for a few days, and I said, Minda, this place is beautiful, and it is. I said, I feel the call of God, you know, these people need the Lord, and uh, just a pool and a port, some nice weather, I'm in. But that's not the case in John chapter 5. Matter of fact, there's nothing pleasant about uh, this area in Jerusalem. Uh, this pool and this porch, these porches, there's five porches, and if you could see it in your mind, I, I would like for you to see maybe a, a pool in the center, some, some water with these porches surrounding the pool. And they were tiered. There were five levels of porches uh, here in John chapter number 5. And it was not a pleasant place because in verse number 3, the Bible says, "...in these porches lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water." And so this was not a pleasant place because uh, these porches were filled, a great multitude the Bible says, with those who were broken and those who were diseased, those who were uh, blind, those who were uh, utterly unable to do anything for themselves. That's shoulder to shoulder, strewn across the porches, all waiting for the water to move because the Bible tells us that uh, on occasion an angel would stir the water and when he did, Whoever was first in the water would be made whole of whatsoever disease he had. So if you were blind, you would come up and you would have sight. If you were deaf, you would come up out of the water and you would be able to hear. And so it was kind of like a last stop for the outcasts of society. It was their last place to to be, their, their last hope. And I believe it was a place where hope was often lost. They were there. Shoulder to shoulder, not in a pleasant place, not in a desirable place, not the place where the tour guide would take you. The Bible says that these people were there begging for charity. I believe there's a certain smell in the air. Have you ever been to an undesirable place? There's almost like a smell, a dirty place. You could almost smell and feel the filth and the disease. There's a feeling in the air, a feeling of hopelessness, and that was what lay on these porches. The word halt means severely lame. The word withered is shriveled, decayed, rotting. I think of my pastor in West Virginia. I was there for 13 years. I think of his son named Ryan, Ryan Lamb. Ryan was born with severe spina bifida. Ryan was born with a hole in his back, and he could not walk at all. Matter of fact, it was a miracle when he took his first steps. Uh, Pastor was told he would never walk. He was severely lame, but eventually he was able to walk. He never had much feelings in his legs, and, and he had a, a cane, and he kind of would walk even to this day when he's able to walk, and he's often in a wheelchair now, but when he's able to walk, he has to swing his hips to walk because of the spina bifida, uh, the, the spinal cord doesn't connect all the way, and so he, he kind of walks like this. I remember his senior year in high school, he uh, was heading off to Bible college, but he was so uh, uh, broken with the spina bifida and his hip joints and all the wear and tear and his feet and his ankles that he had to forego his freshman year of college because they had a major surgery. I believe it was his 17th major surgery. He had a major surgery and they broke his, his legs and they turned his feet so they would face the right way and... I think of people like that when I think of the pool of Bethesda. I think of just the broken outcasts uh, waiting for some charity. The majority of these people were no doubt crippled. Waiting for the stirring of the water. That's the scene. A scene of absolute despair. Five porches strewn with outcasts and hurting people. Dirt smudged their cheeks, their hair was matted, their clothes were tattered, they had no family, they were were resigned to the porch. Can you go there in your mind's eye with me for a moment? Can you take a deep breath? We're so blessed to live in America, but can you take a deep breath and just think about it for a moment? As Jesus is passing by this place, first of all, let me say, I'm glad that Jesus is willing to walk in the undesirable parts of town. Man, I'm glad, what a great God, that he would go to places like that and find people like us to help and to heal and to, and to save. And could you, could you take yourself there for a moment? There's a certain man there. And that's who the message is revolving around in verse number 5. The Bible says there was a certain man there. He had an infirmity 38 years. Could you imagine 38 years? Could you imagine that? Could you imagine 38 years being broken? 38 years on the porch, 38 years watching others get healed, but you have never received your healing? Could you imagine 38 years? That's that's almost, I'm just over, I'm 41, that's almost my whole lifetime, but 38 years being in a place like that. The Bible says when Jesus saw him lie, you know, it's a great thing about John chapter number five, and it's not the message tonight, but I like it. If you look in verse number six, we see that Jesus saw this man, Jesus knew this man, Jesus talked to this man, In verse number eight, Jesus healed this man, In verse number 14, Jesus went by and he found this man, man, what a great God, a God that sees us and hears us and talks to us and can heal us and even finds us when we go astray so Jesus sees this man and he talks to this man and uh, verse number six says he knew that he had been now a long time in that case you know Jesus knows you tonight he knows your spiritual condition he knows how long you've been that way look at what he said he said "Wilt thou be made whole he said "Uh, would you like to be healed would you like to get off of this porch re-enter society what kind of a question is that I mean I can only imagine this man of course nobody wants to be on the porch nobody wants to be there with the diseased people and the, the broken people no, nobody wants to watch people die and just literally literally to just be ignored by everybody Wilt thou be made whole of course I would be made whole I can only imagine him thinking to himself, I don't want to spend another moment here. I don't want to I don't want to die here. I don't want this to be what people remember of me. Just another outcast, just another part of the multitude on the porch. For 38 years, he sat in an anticipation of the stirring of the water. For 38 years, he saw others get healed and found no place of healing for himself. He'll even go on to say that for 38 years, he was beat out time and time again. I believe he had lost hope. I believe he had stopped looking into the pool, Brother Reno. I believe he was probably turned with his back to the pool, just resigned to live and die on the porch. Jesus comes and he says, "Wilt thou be made whole? And the message is found in verse number 7. What I believe God has for our church tonight is in verse number 7, where the Bible says the impotent man answered him. And there it is. He said, sir, boy, that's remarkable, isn't it? Not a hint of bitterness in his voice. (laughs) He's not bitter. He could be, but he's not. He simply states A fact that cannot be argued he's not asking for charity he's just laying out the facts he says sir I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool but while I am coming another step down before me sir there's nobody that cares about me sir I hate this porch And I've watched friends die on this porch. And sir, I've tried to get off of this porch. I've tried to get to the water, but every time, every time in my own strength, when I start crawling, when I start walking, every single time somebody is faster, somebody can get there. And so now I've said, sir, I just have nobody. Yes, I want to get off the porch, and yes, I'd like to be healed, and yes, I'd like to live a normal life, and yes, I'd like to smile again, and I'd like to live for something again, but but I have no man to carry me. That's what he said. There's no man who uh, cares enough about me. And tonight, Shawnee Baptist Church It's not about you tonight. I came from Chicago to let you know uh, on behalf of every crippled person, uh, they may not be physically crippled, but spiritually they're broken. Spiritually, they're on the porch in Louisville, Kentucky. They're all over. You drop a pin in this auditorium and go 15 minutes outside of this auditorium and what you're going to find is you're going to find the porch of society. You're going to find people that have been forgotten. You're going to find people who even if they wanted to Be saved in their own strength. They could never be saved. And they know that there's something better for them. They know that there's a life worth living. They know that this can't be all that there is, but they have no man to carry them. There's no church. There's no preacher. There's no bus route. There's no man to care for their soul. And they're here. And I come to you on their behalf tonight. They would be saved. They would be healed. They would be in next year's winter revival, sitting in these pews, shoulder to shoulder with you, singing the songs of God, enjoying the choir, rejoicing in the decision. They would be right here if they had some man to carry them. No man to take them from where he was to where God wanted him to be. No man to take him from that porch that was full of sin uh, to the pool that had salvation. From that porch that was full of shame uh, to the pool of honor. From the porch of guilt uh, to the pool of respect. From the the, the porch of weakness to the pool of strength. He had no man to carry him. For 15 years of my life I sat on that porch for 15 years I wasn't raised in this thing I I, I didn't grow up in Sunday school you know my testimony many of you do at least the young people I was just a teenager on the south side of Chicago my dad was a Muslim and so I wasn't allowed to go to church and and I just had to sit there mom and dad got a divorce we moved into the ghetto into a rough neighborhood and I sat there and I watched my sister get hooked on drugs and I watched my family fall apart and I watched the gangs in the neighborhood and and I was spiraling out of control And I was thinking all sorts of craziness, and and I knew there was more to it, but it was like I was trapped, and and I had never been to a church before in my life, and there was no man, until one Saturday, two bus workers came around the corner, man, they had some flyers in their hand, and they were willing to stop for a moment and throw a football with a couple of teenagers, and they invited me to church, and man, I thank God, 25 years later, I'm preaching to you tonight, because there was one person that said, you know what, I will. I will give my life to carry somebody. To carry somebody. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a Bible college student. He was a layman at Jordan Baptist Church, worked for the Chicago Tribune Company, was married, had a couple of kids, gave a Saturday to go find a group of boys and to carry them from the porch to the pool. But I know what it's like. I know what it is to be out there. To, 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 to walk past churches, drive by churches, and to think to yourself, they probably wouldn't let me in. Like it's some kind of a club. You know, we, we think, man, we want everybody to come, but people out there don't think like that. They think you've got to be special. They think you've got to, you know, have some kind of special. They don't realize we'll take anyone that's breathing. <laughs> they don't get it. I remember being that person. I wonder, where were those who had been healed? Where were those who had been healed. Where did they go? They knew that he was there. They knew how long he had been there. What happened? I'm going to tell you what happened. The moment they received their healing, they walked away and got as far away and forgot about everybody on the porch. And that's what happens to you and I the moment we get saved Too often, too often, man, our burden is lifted and we get into church and we get cleaned up and God does a work of grace in our heart and we're thankful for it and we walk away from the porch and we never turn back to remember what it was like and the people that are still there. And God help me tonight if I forget about the porch. God help me if I forget about those who are lost and dying. Look, I don't know how many sermons I'll preach in my life. I I don't know. I want to preach until the day I die. But I've committed something to the Lord for as long as I live. I just want to be somebody that carries people from the porch to the pool. I just want to be somebody. You don't have to have any marketable skills. You don't have to have any spiritual gifts. You just have to be around and have a desire to pick somebody up and to take them from where they are to where God wants them to be. God help me if I forget about those that are chained on the porch. I want to do my part. Are you with me, church? I want to do my part for a lost and dying world. Now, what kind of a man did this beggar need? And we'll be done. Number one, he said, I have no man. It is a stinging indictment to think that there was no one to carry him. That's that's tough. I don't want that said in the Hammond, Indiana area. I hope this church doesn't want that set in the Louisville, Kentucky area. Man, hey, I would have, but I had no man to carry me. What kind of a man do he need? Number one, you need a man that would stop. Real simple, just a man that would stop. A man who would stop long enough to consider the porch. A man who would stop long enough to see what was actually taking place. A man who, who was able to... Uh, not think about work all the time and and games all the time, but who could literally stop for a moment. We are so busy, church. We live in a busy society. Man, our attention is taken every which way all the time. We're glued to our phones, and, and we have busy lives and busy schedules. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a world dying and going to hell, and the church is letting it happen because we're busy. Too busy. I'm a youth pastor and and if i could maybe transition a little bit and talk about the family for just a moment i'm going to tell you something mom and dad and i'm not look i'm no expert i'm not special but let me tell you what your kids need every now and again your kids just need you to stop to consider them yeah. just stop if dad would, would maybe not work as much overtime and maybe not be gone so much and not just come home and watch the TV or whatever, hey, it would go a long way in the home if mom and dad just stopped and thought about eternity and thought about their children. It would go a long way in society if the church would just stop. We don't need another program. We don't need, listen, a uh, big idea. We, we need God's people for a moment to just stop. And the Bible says, Be still. And know that I am God. You know what happens when you're stopped? You you start figuring out what matters in life. You start figuring out who God is and and how important this thing is, how short life is and your priorities get realigned and these people were so busy living their lives and so busy on their way to the temple and so busy on their way to work that they never stopped to consider the porch. It's time that we got our eyes off of our our problems and our valleys and our pain and our hurt and just stopped and thought about others. How many do we pass up every day? I mean, every day, how many people, how, how many people would be saved and we don't talk to them because we're too busy. We're not stopped. People chained to the porch, crippled. We never gave them a second glance. We never passed out of track. We never just, like a Christian, like only a Christian can. Speak to them and show love and compassion and care. We've not done that. He needed a man that would stop. A man that would stop. I remember around Easter time, my son, he's, he's uh, eight years old. His name's Derek. We call him Big D. And he's just a special kid, he's got a heart for the Lord. It was, it was, uh, it was, I I think it was Easter Sunday, maybe service, but it was a big day at the church and I was sitting on the platform that night and we were getting ready to go to church and Derek came to me and he said, dad, he said, God gave me an idea. Now, how many of you know when your eight year old boy says that, that's dangerous. (laughs) He said, God gave me an idea. I said, what is it? And he basically said, I want to go and give a track to the person who lives behind us. He had been playing in the yard, had seen the person. He said, can we go give a track to him? I said, Derek, yeah. I said, we can do that after church. But right now, Daddy's got to get ready because I can't be late because I've got to go to church. And, you know, I sit on the platform like that means something. And I've got to be there on time because they're militant. They start and, you know, all that. And I said, we'll do it after church. He said, "Okay." He came up to me two minutes later. He said, Dad, do you have a, a track? I said, yes. He said, "Okay." He said, can I go give it to him? I said, Derek, I, I said, I'll, I'll go with you, but let's just do it after church. He said, okay. And then I'm getting ready, and Derek comes up to me, and just the innocent, childlike, you know. And, and he said, Dad, he said, uh, he said, what if he's not home after church? And I said, okay, son, I'll, I'll do it. So we went and talked to the guy, our neighbor behind us, and, and I mean, I'm all ready for church. I'm, I'm going to be late at this point. Knock on the guy's door comes out I my my son Derek is there I said sir I hate to bother you but I'm your neighbor I live right there and he said oh nice to meet you and I said my son here just wanted to give you this pamphlet from our church and, and the youth pastor down the street and and we've got to go but I, I wanted to give this to you would that be okay he looked at me he said really I said yeah yeah I said, man I've been thinking about church I said really he said yes and he's, a, he was from, he's from another country, but that country had been in the news. And he said, have you heard about that bombing? I said, yes. He goes, that's, that's my hometown. And I was like, wow. Man, gave him the track. The guy sweetly received us. And listen, listen, all that to say, all I needed to do was just stop. That's it. I had a million things to do, but the most important thing I did that day was give that track to that man. It really that was the most important thing I did that day. We need to stop for those that are on the porch. I thank God for a pastor and for a layman who was stopped in the presence of God long enough. You know, it really is, and that's a whole other concept and a whole other thought. But the, the, my, my salvation story, the part that I never tell, is, is they were starting a bus route in the Marquette Park area, 63rd and Kedzie. And they had visited, and they had, they had uh, passed out flyers and all of that. And I was living in Marquette Park at the time. And then I moved uh, deeper into the south side. I, I moved 127th Street, quite a millions of people in between. And on the night, the, the Saturday night prayer meeting, they were going to start this bus route on that Sunday. And the Saturday night prayer meeting... A group of men were praying. My pastor was praying. Brother Bill Smith, the bus captain, the new bus captain, was praying. They were praying for the bus route. And my pastor stopped and he looked at Brother Bill and he said, He said, Brother Bill, I don't think we should go to Marquette Park. Brother Bill said, What? We've been canvassing the area, we've been, we've been working it, we've passed out invitations. And Pastor said, I just don't think we should go. I think we need to go on the south side. And and they did. They, they went to my neighborhood. And the second week there picked me up on a church bus. Hey, I thank God for a pastor that was stopped in the presence of God. I thank God for a pastor who made a decision that people didn't quite understand, but they understand it now. Let me just stop and say, you know, you're not always going to understand everything, but you've got a good preacher and that loves God and walks with God. You ought to thank God for that. Look, all I'm saying is as Christian people, we just need to stop again. Number two, what kind of a man did he need? He needed a man that would stop. Number two, he needed a man that would stoop. To pick this man up, somebody somebody had to get down where he was. Somebody had to be willing to get dirty, to stoop, to love the unlovable, to realize that not everybody is going to be just like us. To realize that when we pick people up on the porch, there's going to be some dirt involved and there's going to be some, some, uh, some, some craziness every now and again. But somebody has to stoop. One of the most heartbreaking moments of my ministry was in Parkersburg, West Virginia. I received a phone call, and a lady called me, a social worker called me, and, uh, and she said, is this Landmark Baptist Church? I said, yes, ma'am, it is. She said, I have a, a lady here who is handicapped and mentally disabled, and I was wondering if she would be allowed to come to your church. I said, absolutely. Absolutely she can come. And the social worker said, really? I said, yes. Yes. She said, well, I'll be willing to drop her off and, and I'll sit in church with her and, and I'll take her home. I said, well, that's wonderful. We want that. I said, but if there's ever a week you can't do that, we have buses that go out and pick people up and we've got a van, especially for the handicapped and, ha- handicapped, and we'd love to do that. And she said, really? I said, yes. She said, sir, can I tell you a story? I said, absolutely. She said, the reason I'm calling your church is because I was visiting and she named another church in town. It was the... It was the big church you know popular church the 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 money church it just was she said I it's right across the street from the nursing home where I work she said and and I just this client wanted to go to church and so I I took her across the street and there was somebody there waiting at the door and they stopped us and they said what brings you here and she said well my client wants to go to church and she said whoever it was that stopped her at the door said oh oh no no She wouldn't like this church. Send her to Landmark. Send her to Landmark. In other words, you know, just send her there. They have handicapped people and hurting people and poor people. Just just send her there. And that's what caused a lady to call our church. I sat there, and at first I was infuriated. I thought, what kind of a church would say something like that? And then I was broken, and I thought, Lord, help us to always be a church where the community could say, send them to Landmark. Help us. Man, I believe Jesus would have them come to the church. And listen, every now and again, we're going to have to stoop. And every now and again, you know, we're going to have to take people from where they are, from where they are to where God wants them to be. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Didn't he stoop down for you? Didn't he leave the glory of heaven and come to this wicked earth for you and for me? We were utterly unable. We were chained to the porch. We in our own righteousness could never get to heaven. But the Son of God reached way down. And man, he had to reach way down for me. And he had to reach way down for you. And God help us if we get so high and mighty that we're not willing to stoop. See, that's the kind of man that was needed. And by the way, that's the kind of church that is needed. A church that would stop. A church that would stoop. A church that would stoop. Every good thing in my life is because of Jesus Christ. Because he stooped for me. Next, needed a man that was strong in the Lord. You ever try to carry dead weight? You ever try to do that? There's a certain strength required. To just pick up and carry dead weight. You use muscles you don't always use. This man needed someone that would stop, that would stoop, but he needed somebody that was strong in the Lord. Hey, church family, that's why you come to a Revival on Tuesday night. Now I'm preaching to the choir. I mean, you're here, but that's why you come. That's why you go through discipleship and that's why you learn to tithe and that's why you give to missions and that's why you find the discipline of prayer and commit yourself to being a prayer warrior and and that's why you get in the Bible and you you follow the Bible reading schedule and, and that's why you grow in your faith because you ought to be strong. You need to be strong because people on the porch need you to carry them. And you can't carry them if you're a weak Christian. You needed somebody that was strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. Somebody that was willing to sacrifice time, maybe some money. See, see, the attitude of the people, they, they were not willing to do any of that. I fear often the church has become like the people who walk by those that are chained to the porch. Picked a boy up on the bus route. His name was uh, Courtney. All I could tell you is this, Courtney was bad. Courtney was bad. I want you to think of the worst, the worst bus kid you ever brought to church, the worst teenager, and then I want you to triple it in your mind. <laughs> That's Courtney. We would take him to Sunday school and drop him off, you know, and when I would pick him up, uh, the Sunday school teacher, uh, the Sunday school teacher would have a look on her face, like, you know, Brother Judah, like, like, like she's shell-shocked. I mean, she's reliving, you know, PTSD, and I mean, she's like, are you, are you here to get Courtney? Yes, I am. Oh, thank you. Thank you, (laughs) you know, and that was every week. Do you think we can give Courtney a couple of weeks off? I'm like, I'll pray about it, bring him back the next week, (laughs) and that was just kind of the way that it was. Courtney lived in a rough part of town. He, he uh, had a bunch of sisters. I don't remember how many, but a lot of sisters. He was the only boy in the house. I remember that. We picked Courtney up on the bus for over a year and a half, and I never one time met his mother. Never had a conversation with her. Never once. A year and a half. Every time that I came by and knocked on the door, his mom would be passed out on the couch. Every time. I mean, I, I to this day, I've never had a conversation with the lady picked her whole house, put all the children up, everybody, for a year and a half. We would pull up to that house, little white A-framed house there in East Chicago. We'd pull up to that house, and my wife would get out, we'd go into the house together, because we had to get the kids ready, and we had to, you know, and she would just be strung out, just, just passed out on the couch, every time. But Courtney and his sisters would come, and Courtney was had anger issues. You ever look at a teenager and you could tell man they're they're troubled you ever see that like you could look in their eyes you could tell they're just really just troubled and angry that was Courtney he would lash out he would he would just act out he was a really troubled young man getting fights constantly and he always have a pocket knife on him, and I'd have to I'd make him empty out his pockets before he got on the bus. And you think, man, pocket knife? Well, you give Courtney a pocket knife, someone's gonna die. All right, and that's just the way that he was. I remember one time on the bus, he took a swing at my wife, literally. Like she's passing out cookies, and he got so mad about something, he he swung at my wife, and she's a black, but no, she's not. But uh, that didn't turn out good for him. But anyways, um, that's that's Courtney. I started doing something with Courtney. I, I've never done it before or since but God just gave me a soft spot in my heart for him and and I would walk him home we'd we'd drop him off and I'd walk him to the door and uh, he was always wild crazy bouncing all over the place but but I just started to say to him Courtney God loves you and so does brother Judah Courtney Jesus loves you and so does brother Judah he'd look at me he'd hardly ever say anything in return but I would just say week after week I just started saying Courtney Jesus loves you and so does brother Judah Sometimes he'd be real bad, and we'd have to kick him off the bus for a week or two, but he'd always come back. And I'd always say, Courtney, Jesus loves you, and so does Brother Judah. They were announcing a big day at the church, and had big carnival Sunday. Had all these inflatables, and they talked about this man who would be there, and he'd be juggling, and he would juggle fire, and he would juggle swords, and he would juggle all this stuff, and they were kind of pumping up this day. And as they're telling all of us, uh, about the day, and I started hearing, like, juggling swords and fire, my mind immediately went to Courtney. And I thought, man, I don't know. I don't know if, I can, I don't know if he can handle, you know, a guy juggling swords. I don't know if the guy can handle Courtney around. And, and so I went to visit Courtney that day, and Courtney had been in some trouble the week before. And I said, Courtney, I said, uh, we're having a carnival tomorrow. And he just kind of looked at me. I said, Courtney, I said, uh, there's, there's going to be a lot of kids there. Said, I need you to behave. Can can you behave? He just looked at me. I said, Courtney, look, I need you to be good. I said, we've had to give you, we've had to suspend you a few times. We've had, I said, I'm not going to have time tomorrow. I said, Courtney, do you promise me that you will behave? He said, yes. I said, Courtney, listen, if you don't behave, if you if you mess up tomorrow, if you break something or steal something or hurt someone tomorrow. I said, Courtney, I, I'm going to have to kick you off the bus and, and you're never, you're never going to be allowed to come back. I said, Courtney, you know I love you and you know I'm pulling for you, but, but do you understand that? He said, yes. Picked him up next day and he got on the bus. And he was fine. Went to Sunday school. He seemed fine. Picked him up, took him to the carnival and there are hundreds of kids there, literally hundreds of kids and I'm, I'm just kind of walking through eating a hot dog. And all of a sudden, I hear a blood-curdling scream. I mean, like, uh, I mean, it was bone-chilling. And, and my mind thought immediately, Courtney, where's he at? And I went over, like, to where the scream was. And sure enough, we had a bounce house that we had rented. And Courtney had gone into the little kid's bounce house, like the kindergarten bounce house. He had gone in there, and he had, he had run in there with a bunch of little little four-, or five-year-old kids. He had zipped up the, the bounce house and, like, trapped him inside of there and then he started running from side to side and that thing was just like all over the place and he had little kids just flying all over bouncing off each other screaming Courtney like a little like a little devilish little imp is just and I mean it was it was bad and I said Courtney he, he stopped and he came out kid didn't even take his shoes off in the bounce house I mean that's strike number one but out. I said, Courtney, what are you doing? Courtney, man, I told you, I told you. Man, I just let him have it. I said, let's go, you're going home. Let's go, come on, man, I told you. Man, we got in my car and I drove to his house and the whole way, I said, Courtney, I cannot believe that you would disrespect us like that. I cannot believe, you hurt kids today. Courtney, what are you doing? And he just sat there, just just mad and just crying and just holding it all in and, I mean, just, just simmering and I said, Courtney, we can't bring it back, man. We can't do it. Parked in front of his house, started walking down a little A-frame. I said, I'm talking to your mom. I said, I'm going to wake her up. I'm talking to your mom today. She's going to know what happened. And I went to go knock on the door. And when I did, somebody had taken a pocket knife. And they had etched in a heart. And they had written the words with the heart on the door, right on the door. White painted door. God bless this home. And I knew that was Courtney's pocket knife. I knew he had done it. And I thought to myself, Brother Frost, God bless this home. This home? This home where there is no dad? This home where, where, you know, we've got to go in and wake the kids up and put the clothes on them? And this home where mom is on drugs? And God bless this home? I said, Courtney, Jesus loves you. So does Brother Judah. Said I can't bring you back next Sunday, man. But I'll be back in a couple of weeks. For the first time, he dropped his head. He gave me a hug around the waist, and he ran off into that home. A few months later, I moved to West Virginia. Left that bus route, left those kids, and followed God's call in my life. A few years later, like more than five years later, there's a call at our church. Our secretary, Mrs. Bush, said, Brother Judah, somebody's on the phone for you. I said, okay. I picked up the phone, and I said, this is Brother Judah, and all I heard were sobs on the other end of the line, just heaves, just crying, just heaves, and finally I could hear the words, and, and I could hear a deep voice saying, she's gone, she's gone. Brother Judah, she's gone. Mama's gone. Mama's gone. Brother Judah, Mama's gone. And I, I said, who is this? And I had no idea who it was, but I could just hear, Mama's gone, and, and, and then he said this, "Brother Judah, I know that you love me. Does Jesus still love me?" And when he said it, man, I knew that was Courtney. I said, "Courtney?" He said, "Brother Judah." I said, "Courtney, just stop. I said, "Jesus loves you, Courtney." I said, "He loves you as much today as he ever has." He said, "Brother Judah, no, I've been bad. I've been bad." He said, when you left, the new bus captain came, and they kicked me off the buses for good, and I'm sitting there thinking, I'm I'm sure that they did. He said, and I've been bad. Now mama's gone, and they've taken my sisters. I'm left alone, and Brother Judah, what should I do? And I said, Courtney, you remember how to get to the church? He said, yes. I said, Courtney, you could go now on your own. Go to church, Courtney, they'll love you there. And And we prayed together, and we talked, and exchanged phone numbers, and And hung up. A few months later, probably six or seven months later, we are in the Chicagoland area for summer vacation, and I'm coming out of church. And as I'm coming out of church, somebody taps me on the shoulder, and I turn, and when I turn, I'm looking like at the belly button of a man, you know, and I'm, whoa, white shirt, half of it pulled out. I look up. He said, Brother Judah, I said, Courtney? He said, yeah. He had a tray of cookies in his hand. He said, Brother Judah, I I, I can't stay long. I said, Courtney. He said, that's my bus right there. That's my bus. He said, if I don't get on it, those kids are crazy. (laughs) He said, Brother Judah, thank you. I said, Courtney, thank you. He said, I got to go. I'm in charge of that bus. And he ran off. Six foot whatever ran off into the bus. And as he was running, I thought to myself, Lord, Help him to reap what he has (laughs) sown. Hey, you know what Courtney needed? He just needed a man. He didn't need a preacher. He didn't need a sermon. He didn't need money. He just needed one person that would stop. One person that would stew. One person who was strong enough in the Lord to carry him from where he was to where God needed him to be. I could literally stand here and tell you stories all night long. I won't. I won't even tell you another one. I'm just going to say this. You know what this area needs? This area needs a church that'll stop and stoop and be strong and commit themselves to carry people, any people, all people, From the porch where they live to the pool where God wants them to be. That's, and real revival, make no mistake about it. Any story you can tell from camp, any story in your own life, real revival might start in a church house, but it will spread to other people. My friends, this week has been for nothing. If someone doesn't get carried to the pool, we've wasted our time. We've gained some head knowledge, but if we don't act on what we've heard, we've not had a revival. And I wonder tonight if there's anyone at Shawnee Baptist Church that would say, Brother Judah, count me in. I may not have much. I may not be much. <laughs> I'm just like you, Brother Judah. I have no marketable skills, but I can carry somebody. Maybe. I can carry somebody from the porch to the pool. Maybe you used to do that, but you don't anymore. Maybe you're a teenager, and you you ought to go to a youth pastor and say, you know what, I'm going to find one person. Just think with me, dream with me for a moment. What if everybody in this room took 2022 and found one person, just one person, just one person, that are no doubt out there, that that would love to be here tonight if they knew it existed, if they knew they were welcome, if they just had somebody to bring them along. And yet they'll stand before God someday. And they'll plead their case. And eventually they'll say, I had no man to carry me. And Lord, help us if that can be said about us. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? I wonder tonight would you ask God to give you one person to carry from the porch to the pool? Would you do that tonight? Would you ask God to give you one more teenager, one more adult, one more? just just somebody, just anybody? Jesus said, "Let your light so shine before men." And then he said, "Don't, don't hide your light under a bed." That depicts laziness. Sometimes we're not caring people because we're just lazy. He said, "Don't hide your light under a bushel. That's, that's labor. That's our work. We're too busy." Oh. I wonder if there's anyone tonight that would say, Brother Judah, I want to carry somebody. I want to find one person. And I want to carry them from where they are to where God needs them to be. Hey, you might have to do some growing yourself, my friend. You might have to get over some of your issues and and stop and stoop and get strong in the Lord yourself. That God might use you to carry somebody. You say, Brother Judah, count me in. If the Lord will help me, I I want to find one person, just one person. One person to bring to church, one person to take through discipleship, one person to impact, but that's my heart's desire. I don't want people at my work, at my job, at my family to say I had no man. That's me, Brother Judah. Would you lift your hand and let me see? I want to find one person. Well, that is so many people. Let's do this. That's almost the whole church. Let's stand to our feet and let's do this. As, as the piano plays, why don't you take step number one, come to this altar I say, Lord, give me one person to carry from the porch of the pool.